I'm Zoraida Cordova, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. Sure. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here today with my other co-host, my only co-host for tonight, the only man who could make the Outer Rim seem classy. It's... Devor. Howdy, everyone. Happy 2023. It is a new year. It is a new year. Same old Clashing Sabers. Sorry, guys. Yep. <laughs> no, 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 no. We've got some good stuff coming up uh, tonight and, and this year. I'm really excited tonight because uh, we've got a fun topic. Drew and I uh, did one of these a while back, and it was just a really good time. So Devor and I tonight are going to give you episode two, Attack of the... Huh? Uh, we're going to do a what if episode, everybody. Uh, so very excited about that. Uh, we don't know each other's what ifs. So this is going to be totally on the fly, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, what's not going to be on the fly is uh, what's also coming up at the time of this release, which is our fundraiser, The Book Batch. Uh, we've got some great prizes, including uh, signed copies of books, art prints, um, all kinds of good stuff for you to uh, to go over and uh, buy a raffle ticket to and uh, possibly win some great memorabilia. And in the meantime, put some books into classrooms across the country because that's what we do here. So every penny that you donate will go directly towards that cause, uh, towards getting books for teachers uh, in a time where it is, is very highly needed. And speaking as a teacher, that second semester is always hard because the kids kind of lose motivation and don't necessarily want to to get invested in things and so if uh we can send a book a box of books to them uh i have seen it firsthand and had many people tell me um their stories of how it just really reinvigorated their classroom and and made a huge difference there so all those links will be in the show notes so you can just click on over and uh buy yourself a a, a rack, raffle ticket send it to friends uh nominate a teacher you know all of that stuff you can do right over there but uh devore before we uh, really, you know, start pushing the fundraiser, before we get into our what if, all of that stuff, we got to talk about what I know we are both Star Warsing, which is season two of The Bad Batch. Hell yeah. We are, at the time of this recording, three episodes into season two. Devor, hit me with your thoughts. Well, it's good to be back in the world of The Bad Batch. It really is. I mean, I really miss this, and it's just great to be, you know, in this time period. I mean, I think that's one of the things that these first three episodes in particular have done really well is, yes, kind of reintroducing us in certain ways to the characters and allowing us to see where they all are at this particular point in time, but even just getting thrown into this world of the early empire and this transition and the way that everyone throughout the galaxy from the Bad Batch characters to everyone else they're interacting with is reacting to that has really been something great to see, particularly with this episode that just most recently came out at the time we were recording, The Solitary Clone. You know, getting to see 
you know, the whole arc about the separatist holdouts on the one hand, loved, loved seeing my B1s back, always happy to see that. And even just, you know, the, the return of fan favorite commander Cody and getting to see the way that he started to question a lot of what has happened with the new empire. And you're starting to see these different characters starting to, you know, reach a certain kind of breaking point with all the change and what's happening. Yeah, it's just been really great to see. I mean, you know, this this time, the quote-unquote dark times, is my favorite time in Star Wars storytelling. So anytime we get to go back there, I really love it. Yeah, I'm fascinated by stories where you you know the characters very well and then their whole framework of, of life and how to exist is just obliterated. You know, like... Uh, you know the fish out of water kind of thing but but also kind of a how how do you react to changing circumstances uh how do you handle when your morality goes one direction and your nation or your galaxy or whatever it may be goes in a different direction like how do you handle that how do you uh you know handle what you feel is your duty versus what you actually believe you should be doing and um to me that's just an absolute great time period to tell those kind of stories and the fact that we're so close to order 66 is uh it, it really makes it compelling and challenging because you know and and we're seeing this um and there was a really powerful scene of this in the bad batch where the clones are getting replaced by the stormtroopers and mm-hmm. and in this episode of uh, the solitary clone, you have the clone troopers who went and did all the dirty work, yeah, leaving so that the stormtroopers can come in and kind of just take over and push the the civilians around. And that's, I mean, that's not something I ever really thought about, but it makes sense for for a fascist organization like the Empire to do that to. Uh, kind of, in a way, hype up these stormtroopers, make them feel like they're more important than they actually are by putting them in a situation where they have power that they didn't really earn. Uh, and that, to me, is a, is a fascinating concept. So, it, Bad Patch, God, I, I... Look, I know I'm biased. You, you, you are also towards Star Wars animation. Like, I just love yes. Star Wars animation. But when it comes to... Did we really need these stories? Bad Batch was up there. I was like, I enjoyed the arc, but like, we're going to tell a whole story about them? Like, how is this going to work? And how is it not going to detract from the original trilogy? Like, we we need to have some semblance of the original trilogy and what we see there still being true, right? We're already kind of pushing the limits with, you know, Luke being the last of the Jedi and things like that. Let's not yeah. have a whole ton of, of uh, clone troopers just r- walking around in stormtrooper armor. And the way that they have created this kind of conversion over and the way that the story is presenting it in such a smart manner of they're not really saying that the... the uh, stormtroopers are taking over but they're showing it to you yes. through visuals like that yeah exactly i mean i love i love that you pointed that out about the the beginning and the end of that most recent episode of the episode starts and for a lot of that middle part it feels almost like a classic clone wars episode it's here are these clones they're trying to take out these separatists shooting battle droids etc cetera, etc cetera. but then it ends 
and it ends on this note of realizing, oh no, this is actually this this is not your classic, you know, Clone Wars episode. This is all a commentary on the growing obsolescence of all of these characters, whether it's the separatists and their fight, the battle droids and their fight, or it's the clones and their service to this new empire. It's really great. Yeah, and and to see the visual storytelling, like I'm obviously very fascinated about that. I, I Season one of Bad Batch, I wrote an article on every single episode and the symbolism that was in there. But there was the one moment when, what was that wall, the memorial wall? Yeah. Uh, they're standing in front of it and you see Cody on one side of the light and Crosshair on the other side of the light. Mm-hmm. And Cody is like, like he's, just crossed over that light and crosshair is looking at it but he's still far away and i just like i saw a still of that and i was like yeah we're getting crosshair redemption we're getting crosshair redemption it's it's happening uh hopefully it's not like a a death and redemption uh kind of thing because you know that's happened plenty of times but we are definitely getting a crosshair redemption in season two or or later in in the series Probably, yeah. I think that's the, that's where the story is most likely going to go. Here's something I've seen pop up a little bit in discussion of, of the Bad Batch is Omega and Force sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand on that? <sighs> See, that's tough. That was a way that I was leaning when the show first started. Like, I think particularly one of the early things that made me think in that direction was I think it was the very first episode. I think it would have been aftermath when they were escaping from Camino and she makes the like the perfect shot or whatever it is that allows them to escape or something when she just picks up the gun for the first time. And they, they've done little things, whether it's something like that or it's her connecting with different animals. Like um, I don't remember the the one that she was saving Hunter from early on in season one. And so yeah, there, there's a the little next, hints about was it not the oh no 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 the the dragon one yeah that one uh, the one that was attracted okay. to light yes 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 um, and so yeah there's been little hints about that and you know there's the whole thing about like well you know com- the Camino ones don't create without purpose what's hers and then of course you know people thinking about the kind of eventual gesture or allusion to down the road to the Snoke and Palpatine of it all um. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm just thinking, like, particularly with the Mandalorian running concurrently, it would be a little too close of here's another story of this Force-sensitive child that people want to, like, poke and prod and, you know, study. Uh, So that's the only thing that's getting me, like, I I don't know if they're necessarily going to go in that direction because it would hew very close to whatever they have planned for Grogu. Yeah, but I don't know if Dave Filoni can resist. <laughs> yeah, there, there's that too. You're yeah. right. Like, I love Dave Filoni, but one of his, his major flaws is when he gets an idea he likes, he, he does a lot of iterations of it. Correct, correct. So, uh, not to say he's a one-trick pony, because he's definitely no. not. But, you know, you can see it with Ahsoka. You know, he, he puts Ahsoka in everything, which... You know, it makes sense, and he's told really great stories with her. Um, so, you know, it's easy to accept that. But then, you know, you mentioned things like like the bringing the animals in and um, 
basically every episode has like one nugget you need to take away that's going to lead you to the finale, which is going to bring all those little things together. Mm-hmm. Like he's got a style um, that he he tends to to follow, which I mean it's working so far. He's putting out some great content, mm-hmm. but yeah, I the more I think about it, the more I am leaning towards she is going to end up being force sensitive. But what I would find really really fascinating is if she turned down Jedi training. You know, mm. if the Bad Batch is pushing her towards that, you need to do this. The Jedi were good. The Jedi were, you know, wrongly stricken down and look what has become of of their absence. And she chooses, no, I'm choosing my family. I'm choosing the people that I care about and love. And we can make the change with who we are and not with who we are, air quotes, supposed to be. That we can, in our unity, bring effective change, not through any power that we have or special skill or one individual. Because I think, you know, when you, when you think about tropes in Star Wars, yes, we have lots of main characters, but, but it, you know, you kind of have it Anakin's the reason that the, the Republic fell and Luke is the reason that this, uh, you know, the rebellion won and Rey is the reason that Palpatine was defeated in the end. Like you've got, you know, your one main character who's doing it and to have like this side story that is, is making a big impact and people are really enjoying tell a similar but slightly twisted story of yes we're going to do those things we're going to be the heroes we're going to be the change we want to see but we're going to do it by being us and being who we want to be and not who we are expected to be right yeah and i mean you know as we already know from trailers we are getting jedi in this season of the bad batch yeah we are one. we're getting guns so, you back Exactly. So maybe that will be a catalyst to advance some sort of, you know, if that is the direction they want to go with Omega, maybe that's going to be the thing that kind of moves the story in that direction. I mean, we'll see. We need some, like, tag team episodes of just Omega and Gunji going on adventures. Like, she's got her her bow and he's got his lightsaber and they're just going all around. Flying around with little Hera. Oh, dude. (laughs) Now I'm not going to sleep tonight. Thank you for that, yeah. by the way. Uh, yeah, so any other thoughts on Bad Batch Season 2 so far? We haven't gotten a ton, but but we've gotten a lot of good stuff. No, yeah, I mean, yeah, like you were saying, these first three episodes, you know, I mean, in terms of story-wise, you know, very heavy in terms of the kind of action-adventure aspect of Star Wars. And we haven't talked too much, you know, in this conversation about the first two episodes, but, you know, we had that whole sort of high story there. But, uh, yeah, just very excited to see where the story, in what direction it kind of evolves and goes. Yeah. I feel like the first two episodes were really, in terms of, like, what they add to the story were not super important. Uh, right. Not, not because they weren't good, but I think they were they were an, a, a really long establishing shot. They were yeah. They were giving us... A, a reestablishment of who these characters are, their new dynamics. Um, we got a reminder of how reactive Omega is to the comments of, of the Bad Batch team and how she wants to please and be prove herself to be a valuable member of the team um, and how sometimes that can go, go awry. Uh, we got all those basic tenets that we got in season one, and I think that's a beautiful thing about having 
these longer seasons uh you know 16 episodes or whatever it's going to be is you ha- can have a couple episodes to just establish that you know yeah. the setting and the characters and stuff like that like that's what andor did really well yes. in the first couple episodes so yeah I- i'm really excited to see more of season two and we'll talk about it for sure um we'll if, if if we can get drew to get through season two um <laughs> Then, then all of us will do a, a best and, and butts at the end of the season. But you and I, at the very least, will do it. Yes, definitely. So uh, let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to get into our Star Wars What If. Sergeant, good to see you again. You too, sir. This is Hunter. Sorry we're late, Commander. We were putting down an insurrection on Yavik Prime when your comm came in. Had a few unforeseen complications. So, Commander, what kind of suicide mission do you have for us this time? Let's get going. We'll brief you on the way. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time. We are going to break the Star Wars canon. We're going to mess up the galaxy. We're going to do all kinds of crazy stuff because we are going to ask a very important question. What if... And here's my question. Okay. All right. And and Devor doesn't know what my question is going to be, and I don't know what Devor's question is going to be. And we're going to present our our arguments and uh, discuss and and go from there. So, in the spirit of the Bad Batch, I am wondering, what if Commander Cody didn't execute Order sixty six? <sighs> and that may seem like a small thing, mm-hmm. but as I explored it, I realized. Mm, it might not be. So let's go first with what we know. Cody gets the Order 66 directive on Utapau. He shoots mm-hmm. down Obi-Wan while Obi-Wan's riding on the Bodo. Obi-Wan falls into the lake, assumed dead. Cody stays with the Empire. You know, we got to see him in the Bad Batch working with, uh, with Crosshair. And he does go AWOL after that mission against the Separatists because he tries to come to a peaceful solution and instead is ordered to, to murder the gover- governor of Desix. So that's what we we have with Cody. Now, we have to consider in this equation the inhibitor chip. Mm. And we've seen the inhibitor chip be hindered in in two ways. One is genetic modification and the other is by sheer force of will. So, being that we are are working under everything staying the same prior to Order 66, we're going to go with Cody is not modified. And yep. we also have to assume that he hasn't had his chip removed so under those pretenses we have to assume that cody goes through something similar to what rex does Mm -hmm. where he fights against the directive because of his his care and love for obi-wan so cody goes awol and hides Mm -hmm. possibly with obi-wan possibly with another rogue clone group like the bad batch or cut laquane and he finds a way to get in touch with Rex after the events of the Siege of Mandalore. At some point in all of this, he is able to get his chip removed. I think it would make a lot of sense if he was with the Bad Batch and got his chip removed when they did in Season 1. Um, there could be all kinds of, of ways they could maybe tell a story where he... They they figured out something that can stall it, but it's like a ticking time bomb. So then he finds a way to get in touch with Rex after the, the events of Siege of Mandalore. And uh, with the sway of both Cody and Rex combined, the Bad Batch joined the early rebellion during the events of Season 1. 
That's what I think happens. I think with those two leaders, they get the Bad Batch to go, you know what, we're going to fight the big fight. We're going to keep doing this. I think the events of Kamino really stay the same. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Rex and Cody stay back with the main rebellion in case the crew needs any backup. And after finding out um, that both Cody and Rex have gone rogue, Crosshair admits that he might not know everything he needs to know about the Empire and agrees in, under tenuous circumstances to go with the rebellion. So now we have eight members of the Bad Batch. They take the lead in recruiting clones and infiltrating and sabotaging Imperial bases across the galaxy. This lights a fire under the rest of the rebellion and uh, also lights a fire under the multitude of Jedi that we have seen survive Order 66. Said Jedi, including Kanan, Cal Kestis, Obi-Wan, even Ahsoka. Uh, they notice this growing opposition and join the fight against the Empire. Uh, Obi-Wan, in particular, I think is important to consider because Obi-Wan is renewed by this rebirth, if you will, of his friends with, with whom he reunites and is inspired to train Luke and Leia from an earlier age. So you have some semblance of a Jedi Order and a clone force that's also training these, uh, this new force of, of rebels. Much like we saw in uh, uh, the arc in, in the Clone Wars. So you got all of that going on. I think... The events in the original trilogy play out more or less the same with things like the destruction of the Death Star, Battles of Hoth, Endor, etc. The Rebels win. Um, I think they win more regularly because of the combination of Jedi and clone leadership. I think it's a much uh, more expansive war like the Clone Wars was. Uh, It's basically quite literally Clone Wars Part 2 instead of, of this different galactic civil war, which... Based on what we have, yes, it was a big war, but it, it was a lot smaller than the Clone Wars it, when you consider the Galactic Civil War. It was a lot more intimate. So I think you can have a very similar story there uh, with this these new set of characters and, and events uh, combining together. But I think the, the Jedi getting inspired by what Cody and Rex are able to start, uh, they stick around and they stick together and this gives luke who emerges who you know becomes the new chosen one to have an easier time starting the new jedi order and he has more assistance in training the first generation of padawans so with that support palpatine is not going to be able to tempt ben solo to the dark side all of this is because cody i hear you laughing over there all of this is because cody i just went off so Ben Solo doesn't turn to the dark side, and the events of the sequel trilogy play out quite differently. Instead, Ben and Luke together hunt down this Snoke-Palpatine combination of weirdness. The New Republic, having just gotten out of a second expansive galaxy-wide war that they thought was not going to happen says, you know what, we're going to take this First Order more seriously, and they squash the fascist like a Rancor crushing a B-1 droid's head. New version of peace arises. There's the Jedi as an example of the light, and new High Republic era begins. <laughs> I rest my case. My God. That, I was not prepared for that, honestly. That that was like that meme of the guy who's setting up the dominoes, and it's like the dominoes get bigger. It's that meme. It's like C- Cody disobeys Order 66, New High Republic is the big domino. <laughs> yeah. Look, I just kind of went, okay, well, 
what's the next thing that happens? And the next thing that happens would be, okay, well, he has to do this. Well, well, what happened because of that? Well, I mean, the Bad Batch, you know, they, the good soldiers follow orders. They're going to be inspired by two people who fought against their, their, uh, their chips. And that's going to be a game changer. Maybe I'm biased towards, towards Bad Batch right now. But what are your thoughts on that? Man, that is... I mean, that's pretty incredible. I mean, one thing that I started thinking about uh, as you were sort of telling the story, particularly in the kind of early part of it, was I I started thinking about Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, both the character, but then also the show. And I was starting to think, well, well, if you had had a, you know, non-chipped Cody kind of running around, might he have intersected in that story somehow in some way? That was a factor I considered. Um, that's kind of part part of the reason why I didn't really include much in there because that was a that was a Rubik's cube I couldn't quite crack. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, there's so many factors. Like you know, would with this real solid semblance of of the Republic remaining, do you get somebody like Reva to to return to the light? Do you, you know, earlier, do you get Obi-Wan more willing to go off on adventures and, and leave? Do you get, you know, uh, with his, if him and Cody are working together and, and you're building this united force and they start finding these Jedi, does that mean that, you know, Luke can be taken off of Tatooine or other people can watch him while Obi-Wan goes off on these missions? Like, there's so many factors there. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Like you could even think about like, oh, would Obi Wan have brought Cody in in some capacity as a kind of you know watching over Luke in some way or mm. something? Like, yeah, it's 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 interesting. All right, what so now I ask you, I ask you, what happens if Commander Cody disobeys Order sixty six? Oh, okay. What happens? Let's see. All right. He disobeys Order 66. I would say he and Obi-Wan, I think, flee Utapau together. I think they link up with Bale and Yoda, the way that we see Obi-Wan doing. They end up going to Coruscant. Uh, let's see. He helps them break into the temple. I don't know. Maybe they do some kind of Trojan horse maneuver or something with Cody. Uh, involved and let's say all that happens more or less I would say oh, what's he doing during all the the Mustafar Senate stuff um goodness that's a good question uh see my thinking was he, he sticks around in the army a little bit in the military a little bit to kind of keep people off the scent of Obi-Wan Oh, okay, yeah, maybe he goes back to Camino while all that is happening, tries to lay low or at least kind of scope uh, scope out what's going on, and maybe that way hooks up with the Bad Batch, and maybe we get, we get to see them. Yeah, like maybe he, I don't know, I mean, that could go one of two ways. Maybe either he flees with them and Omega, just as we see in Aftermath, or maybe he just kind of, again, decides, you know what, I'm going to stay put and, you know, be a kind of inside man, as it were. Um, in the kind of early Empire stuff. Um, 
I, I do think I agree with you. I probably there is some point where he kind of links up with Rex slash the Bad Batch slash whatever kind of rogue other clones are out there. You know, your Gregors, etc. And oh, let's see. Does he connect back with Obi Wan? I'm going to say yes. I think he's going to be one of those, like, you know, in the same way that we see Bale in in the show trying to get Obi-Wan kind of back into fight. I think Cody at one point, maybe he leaves him alone for a while because either that's the plan in order to keep the kids safe or he just doesn't know where Obi-Wan goes after Revenge of the Sith. But at some point, you know, through circumstance, maybe through the events of the show with Leia and whatnot, he's brought back into connection with Obi-Wan. And... You know, maybe he, I don't know, I think I think Obi-Wan would go back to the mission of watching over Luke, but maybe, okay, let's just say maybe Cody decides to, you know, be there with him, uh, maybe at a distance to still kind of keep the scent off of Obi-Wan, but maybe he's still also there. And so then when, when Luke gets older and, you know, he gets of age to learn about the Jedi and all that, in addition to Obi-Wan, you know, coming to him and telling him about the Force and the Jedi, there's an aged, wizened Cody there telling him about, you know, the war and the clones and whatnot and all of that. And uh, So here's a question yeah. on that. Does Cody know Anakin is Vader? Ooh, does Cody know Anakin is Vader? And if if yes, in that scene in the hut when Obi-Wan, you know, says your father wanted you to have this lightsaber, we fought in the Clone Wars, all of that stuff, does it go a different direction where they tell the not from a certain po- point of view uh, truth about what happened with Anakin? I'm going to say Cody knows, but he... He sort of is a co-conspirator with Obi-Wan in, okay, okay. in the from a certain point of viewing of Anakin's story. Yeah, I'm going to say through one way or another, either Obi-Wan tells him after the fact or what have you that he knows the truth. But then, yeah, sort of is kind of agrees with Obi-Wan that, that Luke needs to find out at the right point. He can't find out at the jump. So, yeah, I think that more or less goes the way it goes. If, if we could get Tamara Morrison to do this, this would be great. We could have Cody, uh, you know, with his flat top and everything, get Tamara Morrison to grow his hair out and then just, like, stick him in the background of certain scenes <laughs> in the movies. It's like they never actually announce that he's back, but he just, you know, he's just like... It's like the Millennium Falcon in Revenge of the Sith. Like, yeah, the, what? Why is exactly. that there? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That would be pretty great. Um, I don't know. Let's see. Okay, what else happens? Okay, so then Cody is now part of the gang, as it were, with, you know, Han, Luke, Leia, Chewie. Uh, so, you know, we see him on, on the Death Star. We see him at Yavin. Um, let's say he survives all that and we're going, you know, through Empire and Jedi. So maybe he's on Endor with Rex on the ground, Ooh. you know, taking out the shield generator. And let's see. Well, he's, he's, he's getting pretty old by this point. Um, yeah, then he maybe gets involved with, I don't know, training up the New Republic 
troops, whatever. And um, I don't know. See, here's the thing. I think with Rex and Cody together, mm-hmm. you at the very least don't get what we get in Rebels with Rex and them just hiding out and going, we're not fighting anymore. Like the two of them together, yeah. I don't think could sit back and just say, we're not going to do this. Probably, yeah. So I think you have to consider, yeah, they both make it to Endor. Yeah, they both, you know, uh, help rebuild this military force because, like, who better to do it? You know, like, they're exactly not only two of the best leaders that have been trained their whole life to do it, but they understand the historical background of what's going on, you know, and, and that's... That's something I think personally is important in military service is understanding, you know, the history of that military and what they've represented and what they've stood for so that you can help. And and this is really with any organization, help it to move forward in the best direction. And you can't do that unless you have listened to the stories of the past and, and truly tried to understand them from people who have have lived that truth. And so... I think Rex and Cody would be able to add that dynamic to it. And if you think about the fact that the rebellion didn't really have a formalized like military, like it was, it was a bunch of rogues just coming together and doing their best. If you've got Rex and Cody, you know, we get in season seven of clone wars that the droids are like stealing their algorithm. Like they've got whole systems that like are even defeating droids with you know these computer brains that can think of it things so insanely quickly and yes of course you know it comes back to echo but just the idea that like they have to convince the jedi that yeah they figured out our plans because the jedi have so much faith in them that they are so good at what they do i think the the galactic civil war becomes a lot easier to win yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, yeah, having that that breadth of experience that those two particularly would bring, I think would have been, yeah, I think would have been a game changer for the rebels. Yeah, yeah, we didn't even talk about what could have happened if they were in rebels. That would be crazy. <laughs> uh, so let's go to to you and your what if question for the night. All right, let's see. Uh, let's see, I came up with a couple different scenarios. Which one do I want to go with? Yeah, let's go with this one. All right, so I'm going to take you back to the events of Attack of the Clones. It's early Attack of the Clones. I do love so, some Attack of the Clones. So, of course, you know, we get the Zam attempted assassination on Padme with the little slugs that the robot is pooping out. And you get Obi-Wan on the chase after her. Anakin joins in. You get the speeders all the way through. Uh, through Coruscant, we end up in the kind of uh, in in the uh, what? Oh, what's that district called? Uh, the works. The not the no. The works is the industrial part, but where's the, like the gambling and all like the shady part of Coruscant? Oh, like thirteen thirteen kind of place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're down there. We end up in the Outlander Club. You know, we have them taking out Zam. They go out into the alley and they start questioning her about who hired her, whatnot, and then. Django takes a well-placed blaster shot. Besides, doesn't use the saber darts. 
or maybe doesn't have them in his, in his suit that day, instead just shoots her from a distance. There's no saber dart. Obi-Wan doesn't have it, doesn't have that lead. Can't go to Dex and say, what the heck is this? And then learn all about this mystery planet beyond the Outer Rim. How do things go in Attack of the Clones? Wow. Well, do you want me to take it first, or did you have an idea that you wanted to present? Why don't you go first? God, all right. Think of th- I've got some ideas. So we'll see maybe how much we kind of mesh up. Well, I think... I think... Palpatine is a factor we have to consider, obviously, mm-hmm. because this is all his plan, and he needs them to find Camino. Yes. So he 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 has to find another way to get them to Camino, because without them, w- without that happening, you know, you can't start the war. So, mm-hmm. oh man. I think Obi-Wan, you know, knows something sinister is going on. And because of his belief in Padme and and his trust in her opinions, um, he takes her at her word more that Dooku is the one trying to kill her. And he works Mm -hmm. under the assumption that, all right, Dooku is trying to kill her, which would mean that these two are somehow connected to Dooku. And that's what we're going to work as our our lead in this Detective Kenobi series that we have in in Attack of the Clones. So he starts doing more research on Dooku and kind of falls down the rabbit hole of, of everything that Dooku experienced. And he is able to get a lot more stories. Maybe he finds a journal, much like Luke did, of, of his, of... Qui-Gon and Dooku's time together and he gets more of these stories um, uh, of Dooku when he was not a total piece of, of dark side trash uh, <laughs> and, and he actually like stood properly for his morals instead of, of justifying the means with the ends and, and whatnot. so Obi-Wan ends up finding out through his research he, he gets linked to Camino somehow. Um, maybe there... Ooh, here it is. Here it is. Okay, bringing in Tales of the Jedi. Somehow, Dooku wasn't careful enough, and it's found that Dooku is the one that deleted Camino. Okay. And they, they figure that out. So... The... The thing that changes there is... They know Dooku is doing something nefarious, and it's not just a matter of uh, he, you know, has this set of political beliefs that he's trying to establish or he wants power, that he's actually trying to actively start a war. And so they assume that Dooku is the Dark Lord of the Sith that trained Maul, and he's the one that's been in hiding. And okay. so there's a lot more. Uh, I think the clone, or excuse me, the. The Jedi leave the clones on Kamino for a little while. They know we don't need to touch this. This uh, I, I was going to say force, but <laughs> that's probably not a good good term to use. We don't need to touch this group of of individuals and and bring them into the conflict because they were started because of Dooku. And it would be believable because Dooku, as we saw, has a uh, I think the exact me- measurement is shit ton of money. <laughs> so. 
they go to Sereno in force and uh, take out Dooku, assuming that that is the end of, of the problem, of the issue. And so instead Palpatine has to 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 turn things. He has to make a change now because he has no apprentice and he has no war. So what he does is he creates this story of Dooku's final master plan, which was to unite the droids and the clones <laughs> to rain down on Coruscant. And they rain down on Coruscant, much like Order 66, taking out Jedi left and right. Maybe maybe Grievous is there. Maybe he's not. We don't know. It might be in Legends. Who knows? Uh, but, no, I think... I think that you have, you know, the attack on Coruscant happening with clones and droids together. And you have a lot of Jedi uh, that are taken down. And Palpatine is able to, in, in his weird, I knew everything ahead of time kind of way, bring a stop to the fighting. Um, he's able to create you know what he creates the the shutdown order for the droids early mm -hmm. and when the droids are no longer there to be kind of the shield for the clones you know if you think about uh the droids would be the first wave going in and the clones would follow after them so they could kind of thin the ranks uh before the clones go risk human lives in there um and that stops the clones and they're looking around uh and everything and then in a galactic-wide message across all the, the the screens and speakers of Coruscant, uh, Supreme Chancellor comes over the intercom and says, you know, we're not going to stand for this. We need to be united as a galaxy. Like, you, the clone force was not created to... Or, or you know, he tells this story about Dooku and how he created this clone force to start a war and he's winning... Uh, even though he's not alive and he didn't care about any of your lives or any, you know he, he he tells this whole sob story that uh you, you start seeing the clones look around and they start to realize like maybe we don't need to be doing this and so uh the clones put their weapons down but at this point the jedi are far too the, the ranks are far too thinned to continue on. And you've got maybe, maybe 10, 15, maybe 45 Jedi left. I don't know why 45 was the number that I chose instead of 50, but here we are. And so then it's a lot easier. It's a slower burn, but it's a lot easier for Palpatine to start having accidents happen where the Jedi are eliminated and eliminated and eliminated. And at the same time, you know, he he recruits the, the clones to officially join and become the military of the Republic purely as a defensive force. Uh, while in the meantime, he is building up the new order out in the unknown regions that we see in Rise of Skywalker. Um, he's slowly building that. And eventually that leads to the Sith cult attacking the the republic and 
maybe he has you know more inquisitor like characters um maybe he just completely does away with the rule of two and trains up a whole new uh legion of sith but regardless you have this sith fleet that comes from the unknown regions uh and they attack and the remaining jedi are are not enough to 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 do anything about it and so then the sith take over at the end of the day the sith take over but because all of this happened and because we have to consider that you know anakin was there luke was there um these very powerful beings palpatine is going to have a lot harder time of getting this done but i think if you've got hundreds of sith or inquisitors or whatever it may be it becomes really hard as much as i love anakin and luke to believe that anakin and or luke could could stop that level of of an attack and so the sith win at the end of the day uh just takes an extra 50 years or however long it is that palpatine takes to build up the sith fleet using money left over from what he was going to use to fund the war from the separatist side and republic funds that he is is laundering there you go that's it (laughs) my god (laughs) wow (laughs) well i mean if we're gonna do what if we might as well go all the way through to the sequel trilogy yes my goodness (laughs) I, I was not prepared for the clone droid army that leaves behind 45 Jedi. <laughs> I don't think anybody was. The Jedi weren't ready for it. No. Oh, my God. I, I'm just in awe here. <laughs> I, I, I'm in awe of the, the William Faulkner stream of consciousness that is just happening in real time here. Yeah, guys, this is... I'm not editing this. Everything I said, it just happened in order. No, yeah, he did not know about this prompt. None of this was planned. Uh, You know, overthinking is what I do. Oh, my God. So, you you said you had stuff. What what do you think happens? Yeah, all right. So, I'm thinking about this. So, of course, you know, without the saber dart, Obi-Wan loses his main lead. And trying to figure out who's this mystery assassin of the mystery assassin. And so he's got to go off of something else. So what else does he have in that situation? Well, you know, he's got, of course, the deceased uh, Zamwazel. But that's not much help. He doesn't know her name or really anything about her. So that's not, that's kind of a dead end. Let's assume that. And Zumi can't really go any further with, with that. But, you know, he does, as we see in the movie, he does kind of look up. Just but as Django is kind of taken off. So he kind of, you can assume he probably gets a decent look at him. And so he sees this figure. And of course, you know, he, he both sees that and he, he, you know, he sees that he's flying away with a jetpack, And he's like, that's a kind of familiar get up there. I've seen that before. And, and I know someone with those people. So he reaches out to an old flame, one Duchess Satine. And he finds his way on, not onto Dex's diner or onto Camino, at least immediately, but he finds his way to Mandalore. And he says, I was on Coruscant just now. We had a center that was assassinated, and there was a guy involved, kind of looked a lot like your folks. Who is this person? And 
you know, starts, you know, she might kind of start doing some digging around asking. He might do some digging around asking. And then through one form or another, one source or another, he gets this name, Django Fett, right? Someone who, who's wearing Mandalorian armor. And let's say the version of the story that he hears is the Prime Minister Almec of, oh, this is not a Mandalorian. This is just some common thief who got the armor. That's what he thinks. He, he's, he's given that, that party-line version of who Django Fett is. And considering the source, let's, let's assume Obi-Wan is skeptical about that. He's like, hmm, something's fishy here. There, there's more to this than that kind of meets the eye. So then we start seeing Detective Obi-Wan not necessarily following the, this path of the clone army and Sifo Diaz, all that, at least not at first. He's instead following the Django Fett trail and starting to piece together, what can I find out about this guy and his history? And, you know, is he just this common thief who has the armor? Or, you know, is, is there something else to him? And then let's say maybe he finds out, oh, that, okay, Almec was either wrong or lying, and he finds out about you know, Django being a foundling and being part of the civil wars and all that stuff. And he keeps kind of following his, his bounty hunting journey and trying to find people who had been in contact with Django and maybe hired him for different jobs and whatnot. And eventually he does get to the point where, and you know, he, he gets to the, the point in the story where he finds out that, that Django was in contact with some mysterious person named Tyrannus and he got hired for some sort of job, but maybe he doesn't quite know exactly the kind of full details, but he does have this name Tyrannus, Right. And he's like, okay, let's let's try to let's try to investigate this this Tyrannus fellow, and then, you know, he, he's he's trying to pull on what, what he can there, and uh, uh, hang on, where's the story going from here? Okay, he's on the Tyrannus trail. Um, uh, um, I don't know. Let's um, let's also say that you know while he was back on Mandalore with Satine, maybe he's kind of finding out about. Some about the nascent separatists and about Dooku and what's happening on that end. Because, I mean, we don't really know what, you know, what pre-Clone Wars Satine is up to. But maybe he's hearing something about that, too, and he's kind of learning about Dooku's activities and this kind of emerging confederacy. And then he's also at the same time finding out about this, this Tyrannus fellow. Um, uh, I don't know, help me out here. <laughs> You're clearly much better at this. No, I think I think you know that leads him eventually. There's there's with all the corporate interests that they have, there's going to be a paper trail. Like if there's yeah. one thing we can count on for bureaucratic uh, incompetence, it's way too many papers. So with the techno union, the trade federation, and all of these things, there's going to be some kind of paper trail to connect him and get him to Utapau. I think, or not Utapau, rather Geonosis. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he's there, is the clone army coming? Are the Jedi behind him? I think that's the question because he's going to get there. But does he go there with the intention of like we're just going to investigate things and hide back? Or has he already told uh, – sorry, guys. My dog is <laughs> – having a great time in the background uh my wife's not here right now so i'm trying not to put him all locked up in the room like normal so apologies for the dog noises in the background but um yeah i think i think obi-wan does confronts uh dooku on geonosis and and i like this this. 
maybe we don't have it. You know what? Here, here's what it is. He's still trying to figure out more information, so he doesn't call uh, the Jedi Council yet to let them know. So it's okay. just Obi-Wan and Tyrannus on on the planet, that mm-hmm. on Geonosis. And, and maybe they have a duel, you know? Okay. Maybe one-on-one, you know, Dooku is less prepared. Obi-Wan gets, uh, has a better chance, you know? All right. So then we would presume there, if we're going to follow this this trail, this line of thought, that, that Obi-Wan still ends up on Geonosis, which I like. So without the Camino pit stop there, then that would presumably mean that Jango is also there. Are we going to assume that? Or is Jango still parked on Camino? No, he would still be parked on Camino because it, it is Obi-Wan arriving on the Camino that precipitates the events yeah. that leads Jango to flee to Geonosis. So Jango is not, in fact, there. Yeah, no, G- Jango would still be, be on Geonosis. Boba Fett would probably not become Boba Fett. Um, no, I I think, yeah, I think Jango stays on Kamino for the time being, so he doesn't die. Um, here, here's what it is. Mm-hmm. Jango joins the, the Separatists. I mean, he's already kind of part of the Separatists, but, like, officially yeah. joins the Separatists. Okay. And takes the lead of the droid army rather than Grievous with the idea of presenting this idea that, that he's the template for the clones. So anything the clones can come up with, he can come up with before he has already that essentially any of their thoughts is, is kind of his original thought in in a weird way. So you have him leading, this army and and with him and Dooku together, you have more of a cult of personality um, kind of thing, you know, where it's more galvanizing for the Republic to see, yes, we have these clones, but they look like the guy who's fighting and is on the posters for the other side. So it causes a lot more civil unrest. And why are the Jedi trusting these clones? Because I think, the Jedi are still painted in a corner of having to trust the clones. And then they, you know, develop the relationship we see in clone wars and everything. But I think it makes the turning of the, on the Jedi a lot easier. Um, and possibly you have order 66 happen a lot earlier, you know, uh, because when you consider Palpatine's plan, he needed Anakin. He didn't need, uh, Luke and Leia. So he doesn't have to wait for for Padme to get pregnant. He doesn't have to even, you know, wait for them to get married. He obviously, you know, doesn't control that or but I think I think that having somebody like Django at the front, having a warrior um with a with a human face that's more relatable is a lot harder. It, it puts a humanity to that army that makes it a lot harder for somebody like Anakin to to fight with the same gusto that he does just droids. Like I think part of what makes Grievous such a great villain for Anakin is that Anakin while he is he is connected with droids and he cares about R2 and stuff like that, 
it's different when you don't have to look in a human's eyes, you know? Um, and in Clone Wars, we see him, you know, do stuff behind people's back. But I think him and Jango have some some good, some good uh, you know, rumble in the reins, if you will, um, that happened throughout the galaxy. And that makes it a lot easier for, you know, Anakin's kind of being pulled in these two directions of, like, the same with the people of the Republic. How am I... I've got these clones that look like the guy who's kicking my ass half the time and I'm kicking his ass the other half of the time. Like something's not right here. And then finally Palpatine reveals himself um, there. And I think Palpatine chooses the right time where he is still able to convince Anakin that in order to do this, you have to join the dark side. Like, like, Kind of like, uh, you read Dark Disciple, right? Yeah. Kind of like that, where right. you've, you've, you don't have to come all the way to the dark side. It's okay. You don't have to come all the way. You're just going to have to touch it a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just going to have to get, it, get, get a feel for the dark side, maybe manipulate a little bit of the powers, but you can let it go. And if there's anything we know about Anakin, he can let nothing go. And so, you know, you get Darth Vader, you get the Empire, uh, but without Luke and Leia there. Because Um, by that time, Palpatine, in much in the way we assume he did for Shmi, finds a way for Padme to have an accident. Uh, Or, ooh, here's a fun one. He somehow sets it up where Anakin sees Django kill Padme. Okay. And so that really pushes Anakin and his anger and his pain and his loss, you know, because that loss, especially of the the women in his life, Ahsoka, Shmi, Padme, are the real motivating factors that that turn him. So that's what, what Palpatine uses. Look, to take this guy out, to get your revenge, this is what you're going to have to do. And maybe he doesn't reveal himself to be the Dark Lord of the Sith yet. Maybe he uh, just shares, I've had, I've studied the Sith. I know this story of Darth Plagueis the Wise. Like, I I know what you're going to have to do. Um, you know, Quinlan Voss tried it. But he wasn't strong enough. He wasn't you. You know, stroke that ego. And so that's how you get him to turn. And then in some climactic moment, Palpatine reveals, I'm the Lord of the Sith. I have I hold the final power that you need. Together we can bring her back. Mm-hmm. And so he uses that to uh to turn Anakin to the dark side. But at that point you don't have Luke and Leia. So yeah. You've got Vader, you've got Palpatine, both at peak powers, without anybody to really stop them. So, I think, unfortunately, the Empire reigns for a really long time. Um, But I do think at some point, Anakin turns, he defeats Palpatine, and takes over as the Emperor. And you have emperor skywalker uh and the empire continues on and at that point like 
at that point, Anakin's ego would be so out of whack and disproportionate to what he's actually capable of doing. Um, which think about that, like his ego is more than what he can actually do. And we've seen what he can actually do that. He, he trains up a new generation of Sith. Like he thinks this is, this is, I can do this. He wasn't strong enough. And, uh, and yeah. And so he hunts down Obi-Wan kills Obi-Wan that that all becomes a lot easier because he doesn't have that same, his anger is different. Um, it's not a sorrowful anger. It's a, a rage-filled anger. Um, and so it becomes much more of just a, I don't care about being dramatic. I don't care about making my point. I just want him dead. Um, and with this new new version of the Sith, whether it be with Palpatine and Vader or it be uh, after... Anakin actually does overthrow uh, Palpatine and, and starts rebuilding the Sith Order. All the Jedi are hunted down and the dark side reigns forever. <laughs> did, that, did that answer your question? Yes, and then some. <laughs> I, I've also got another part of the story that I was started thinking about as you were talking about, because you, know, you sort of follow the, the kind of you know, the, 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 the Dooku, Anakin, the Palpatine, the Vader of it all. I started thinking about Django. So, you know, you brought up that point earlier on, just to wind the clock back a bit, about this kind of Django-Dooku sort of, you know, duology at the top here at the top of the Separatists. And that got me thinking back to where the story kind of began on Mandalore, where you've now got these Mandalorians on the ground there who are looking at this, you know, this, this Confederacy of Independent Systems, and they see at or near the top is is one of them right this guy is wearing mandalorian armor and so i'm gonna say that that is inspiring a source of inspiration to at least some faction of the death watch who want to overthrow satine and they are looking at Django fett and saying he's our guy he's the one who can because he's got this powerful army he's right up there with count dooku so within the death watch you start having this faction emerge You've got the, you know, the pro pre people who are with him, and then you've got these pro Django fet people that start to emerge. And then the pro Django fet people start making overtures to Django, start saying, hey, if you come back here, if you come back to your people, if you fight pre if you take the Darksaber, you can rule Mandalore and you can bring us in as part of your army. Django, intrigued by this prospect, goes to Mandalore, fights pre defeats him. Because he is, of course, the greatest bounty hunter of the age. So, you know, he, he may not have a laser sword like Maul does when he fights Previsla, but he's got a lot of other skills, and he is able to defeat Previsla, and he takes the mantle of the Darksaber and becomes the ruler of Mandalore. Now, he is a ruler of Mandalore. He has got the Death Watch. He's got these Mandalorian warriors. And as, you know, th this one half of the face of the Separatists, he's got this droid army. This allows him to, when Palpatine makes his moves, resist the shutdown order and maintain at least some faction of the Separatist army functioning. So now you've got, you've got a nascent galactic empire out there with the Sith rising. And you've still, you know, you've got the kind of one rump of the Confederacy of Independent System that's falling apart. But then you've got this other remnant plus the Mandalorians with Jango Fett as their leader as this kind of threat 
this kind of early issue that the empire has to fight. So you have the end of one civil war, but the start of another, which is no longer the Confederacy and the Republic, but is in fact the empire <laughs> and the Mandalorian slash separatists led by Django. <laughs> I love this so much. <laughs> No, like, legit. Like, I'm thinking, like, okay, the Jedi and the Mandalorians had a war at some point, and so now the Sith and the Mandalorians are going to have a war. This is great. Please continue. You had me at Satine. Yes. All right, so so now we got Django leading there. He's, of course, you know, training up Boba to eventually take up the mantle as ruler of Mandalore. Uh, um, let's see what's going on. You've got, uh... You've got Jedi out there, you know, you've got your few rogue surviving Jedi, your Obi-Wans, and so on. Um, uh, there's a realization among the early rebels, you know, your Bail Organas, Mon Mothmas, that their best chance is not to form up their own rebel alliance, their own independent thing, but instead to ally with the one power entity that exists there, what looks like the best bet against fighting against the Empire, and that is the Mandalorian slash Separatist Axis led by Jango Fett. So you have an alliance that gets formed with Jango Fett, Pilarkana, Mothma. You start pulling in all of these different rebel cells. They're coming to the Mandalorians. So now you have the Mandalorian droids and then the kind of, you know, rebel alliance collective, if you want to call them. All the rebel cells who kind of come together. And they are united under the banner of your Bale Mon Mama Jango Fett, who's now getting a little... So let's say now Boba is also up there because now he's in his... If we're thinking now we're kind of in rebels rogue one time you know he's now in his 20s or whatever so now he is also a part of the the kind of nascent leadership um you know presumably you still have all the kind of galen Jin urso stuff happen there so the death star plans end up in the hands of Django fett they lead the attack and so now you eventually get, you know, you get a lot of the original trilogy events still sort of playing out the same way. Whether you get the attack on the Death Star, you get Luke who is now part and he's fighting alongside the Mandalorians. Yeah, you get that. that. Now that's an interesting element. You know, you get Luke being brought in. He gets brought in the Rebel Alliance and he starts learning about these. He's fighting with these Mandalorians and he starts learning about the history of the Mandalorians and the Jedi and their long-standing antagonism. And he starts to think, the only way the galaxy, we're going to win, and the way that we're going to have galaxy peace is to bring them together. So he starts learning the ways of the Mandalorians. Yes. And he becomes yes. a Mandalorian Jedi, Luke Skywalker. Hero of the Rebellion helps defeat the Empire at Endor. And now you have this newish Republic spearheaded by the Mandalorians and the Mandalorian Jedi. Now, by this point, let's say Jango has either retired or passed on from old age. So now the mantle has passed to Boba Fett. He is now wielder of the Darksaber, ruler of Mandalore. And it's him alongside the Mandalorian Jedi, Luke Skywalker, bringing peace to the galaxy and reforging the Republic with their droids and their Mandalorian warriors and the rebels. I love it. I like yours better. Yours wins. <laughs> I need I need an animated version of this Mandalorian Jedi Luke Skywalker. Yes. Like I'm just thinking about how 
I don't know if you ever had any of the Shadows of the Empire toys, but like the Luke was in this red, like kind of maroonish armor. Yeah. And I, God, where was I? Oh, I was at a comic shop the other day and they had Shadows of the Empire toys. I was like, I had that one, I had that one, I had that one. In retrospect, I had them because they were on sale because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they were Shadows of the Empire toys. And the characters all looked weird and different. And so my mom was like, yeah, you can have those ones. They're the cheapest. And so I always kind of played this story of like Luke either like becoming or not becoming, but faking to be some like super stormtrooper or, uh, you know, a bounty hunter or something like that. But now I'm just imagining all the time I wasted when I could have pretended that was Mandalorian armor and had Luke and Boba Fett fighting side by side. I feel like I wasted my whole childhood. Yeah, one with the lightsaber, the other with the dark saber. Like, come on, dude, dude. <laughs> Taking on Palpatine and Vader, they wouldn't stand a chance. Nope, nope. They wouldn't stand a chance. No, that's fantastic. Oh man. Well, uh, if you were looking for a rabbit hole, everybody, we found them. There they are. There are our what-ifs. What if Commander Cody didn't execute Order 66? And what if Django used a blaster instead of a, a, a saber dart? Simple questions, uh, but as you can tell, really profound answers. And that's something to me that makes the Star Wars Galaxy a lot of fun is, you know, you talked about how I set up the dominoes earlier, mm-hmm. but that really is, you know... And yes, to an extent, that's how story works. But in Star Wars, you have so many intertwined stories all continuing on at the same time, all kind of working towards similar but different uh, endpoints, all connected in in some way. Um, And while some people may argue that that creates a small small galaxy and a small world and everything like that, I think that opens up a lot of possibility for discussions of uh, why characters did things and the context of them and comparing and contrasting them and then also going, okay, well, if they had made this decision, what would have been different? Because at the end of the day, both of ours came down to a decision. You know, Cody decided something, Django decided something, and you had the butterfly effect. And that is just really, really cool to me. So this was a lot of fun. Yes, it was. Um... We're going to have to do an episode three because mm-hmm. I've got to have you, Andrew, and myself on here. Maybe we bring in some guests other times. This What If series is going to come back for sure. Um, we, we're we going to roll this into the This Is What Clashing Sabers Does. We do the best in butts. Uh, Drew makes up games. We play some What If. You know, It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and... Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All of that coming and more in 2023, as we said. So just uh, as we close out, guys, please make sure you you share this episode, of course. But more importantly, grab that link, share on your Facebook pages, your Twitter pages, um, whatever social media you're using. And please just share that, you know, everything that we're doing is it's not about us. It's about getting books into classrooms for kids 100 percent of every dollar that we raise, of every penny that we raise, goes purely to buying and shipping the books. Um, I throw extra goodies in there, bookmarks, stickers, you know, sometimes action figures or two. Um, But those all come out of my pocket uh, because we are really, really passionate about making sure that at the end of the day, 
uh, our mission is very clear and very direct in we are putting books into classrooms and we need you guys to do that. So please uh, inspire the next generation of people to ask what if by going over and, and donating on there or joining our Patreon. Um, you can support the same mission in that fashion if you'd like to do it on a more regular basis. And uh, we're going to have some big announcements coming up for Patreon uh, later this year after our fundraiser. So stay tuned to the network for more of that and all of our shows. Uh, you guys know our socials at Clashing Sabers, all that stuff in the show notes. Uh, Devor. Tell them where they can find you. All right, yeah. So you can listen to to my show, A Larger View of the Force, both on the you know the newest episodes are on the Clashing Sabers feed, and then you can also find the kind of the back catalog of episodes where I've also done some what if episodes. So go find those also in the in the A Larger View of the Force feed, and you can follow me on Twitter at a larger view pod. And if you go back to A Larger View of the Force, which you should. Uh, I gotta say the the Marvel stuff. You know, thinking about what mm -hmm. if your Marvel crossovers are peak. Like, I, I remember starting Clashing Sabers. I was like, we should do like an episode of what if Captain America was in Star Wars, <laughs> and then you you release these, and I was like, he did it so much better. It's not fair. <laughs> so, um, fantastic job on on larger view with force, but on all of that. And if yeah, I mean. Guys, we don't bring bring people into our circle lightly. We want to give you guys great content and great people to comment on it. And Devor has been an excellent, excellent addition. And we've got more on the way. So stay tuned. We will be here. You won't have to ask, what if there's a Clashing Sabers podcast in my feed? Because it will be there. And you'll be able to recognize it because you'll hear far off in the distance somebody say, Batch 8. Hi-ho. See, you're getting good. You're like already in this you're in this life for good I, I, yes. all clashing sabers productions are the intellectual property of the clashing sabers network and clashingsabers.net all licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only for more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher go to clashingsabers.net for questions or inquiries please email us at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com you're just going to walk away